Welcome to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. When something positive or negative changes in our lives, we are basically at a fork in the road. Where does the next step take us? What do we do as reactions to something that has already happened? How do we prevent the negative aspects from happening again? Whether in business or personal parts of your life, you can get back on track. We'll talk about it today. Now, here is your host, Frank Sakari. Good morning. This is our ninth show of 2020, and so far this year, the response has been absolutely tremendous. So I appreciate all of your support. Please keep listening and tell all your friends. Now, my name is Frank Sicari, and you are listening to Life-Altering Events on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Since we started this show six months ago, the question I get asked the most is, Frank, what exactly is a life-altering event? And this is what I tell people. It can be something we either choose or something that is thrust upon us that dramatically alters the trajectory of our life. A life-altering event presents us with an opportunity to seize the moment and make a difference in our life and in the lives of our loved ones. They're also a fork in the road, and we have a choice. Now, we can choose to fall apart, or we can choose to find the courage pick up the pieces, deal with our grief, and start moving forward towards better times and better people. Please always remember this. It is never too late to have the life that you want and that you deserve. Now, as you listen to this show in the coming weeks and months, and I hope years, I urge you to think about participating in an upcoming episode. So if you have a life-altering event that could inspire others, Visit the Life Altering Event page at voiceamerica.com, click on Email the Host, and tell me about this event that so drastically altered your life. How did you address it? What impact it had on your life? And where are you now? We'll review this for content, and if it fits, we'll put it into the program and contact you about using it in a future broadcast. Now, right now, we have over 26,000 listeners in 20 countries. So let me help you share your story with the world. Today's life-altering event is Keep Teachers Teaching. Now, I want you to think back, ladies and gentlemen. Think back when you were in school. More times than not, the person who inspired you, who believed in you, who encouraged you, other than your parents, was a teacher. It could have been a teacher as early as second or third grade who made you feel that you mattered, that you had the ability to learn and thrive, and you were special. For some of us, it might have been a high school or college, but somewhere along the line, a teacher played a major role in your life. And we all know education has long been the ticket to success. As one high school teacher told me, he said, Frank, an education is like having a ticket to the dance. It doesn't guarantee someone's going to dance with you, but it definitely improves your opportunities because at least you got in the door. In my high-tech life, I traveled extensively overseas. One of the most interesting conversations about education I had was with a customer in Switzerland. Now, this was a very successful executive, and he asked me, he said, Frank, do you know the main reason the United States became a, f- a major industrial and financial power after World War II. Now, since I was in his house and in his country, I said, well, tell me. 
And this is what he said. He said, the GI Bill after World War II was the main factor. An entire generation of people who probably would not have gone to college were able to go to college free. I'm going to say that again. They went to college free. Then he asked me, why did you stop that such a successful program? And my response to him was, well, nobody asked me whether we should stop that or not. When I got out of the military, my GI Bill didn't even cover my rent. So I asked him, well, tell me what you do in Switzerland. And he said this, once a student graduates from secondary school, which in the United States would be high school, they spend two years in some type of civil service. It can be they join the military or have a government position or a paid internship with a private organization. And then he said, it teaches them a couple of things. Number one, it teaches them to be responsible. They have some place to go. They have something positive to do, and they're getting paid. After two years, if they want to go to college, they go free. And then he said, let's face it, Frank, a 20-year-old is much different than an 18-year-old. And then he continued. He goes, that's why Switzerland, with no natural resources, is one of the highest gross national products in the world because we value education. So I took a breath and I said to him, well, tell me about your elementary school program. And this is what he said. We try to teach our elementary age kids, children, skills that we believe they're going to need in 15 to 20 years. We don't teach them the same way we did 20 years ago. We also have what you call in America after-school programs that are part of the education system. So children are involved in activities until 5 o'clock when their parents' workday ends. And I said, well, how do you do that? And he says, well, the way we do it is we invest heavily in education, in teacher education, in their continuing education, and teachers are paid very well here. Now, the last point still resonates with me nearly 40 years later. I'm going to say it again. We invest heavily in teachers' education, their continuing education, and teachers are paid very well here. Now, if you're listening in the United States, compare the Swiss attitude with that in the United States. Our teachers are not paid well, the position is not held in high esteem, and most teachers are spending between $500 to $2,000 a year out of their own pocket to pay for school supplies. School budgets are constantly being cut, classroom sizes are constantly getting louder, larger, and the burnout rate for teachers is very high. Every state has a shortage of qualified teachers. So the challenge we face here is how do we motivate young people to go into and stay into teaching? My guest, Daryl Gooden, has an organization called Keep Teachers Teaching, and he's working very hard to address these issues. So Daryl, welcome to Life Altering Events. All right. Thank you, Frank, for having me on the show this morning. It is a pleasure. When I met Daryl, we sat down and we talked about his program, Keep Teachers Teaching. Now, Daryl, you told me your, your life is when you were starting off and your struggles in schools and, and where you evolved to. Share that with our listeners. I want them to hear this. Okay. Well, my name is Daryl Gooden, and I'm the founder of uh, Keeping Teachers Teaching. Uh, we're going on our fifth year right now with this nonprofit organization, and we're one of a kind of nonprofit organization that really advocate and assist teachers and, and advocate on their needs of the educators by keeping them teaching. 
And I started off um, born and raised in a small town by the name of Shelby, Mississippi, population less than 2,500 people uh, from a single parent. And, you know, everyone has a story. Everyone has a story how they was raised, no matter where you're from here in the United States or around the world. Everyone has a story. And my story was pretty much, you know, my mom had 15 of us from four different men's. We was on Section 8, welfare, food stamps, uh, lived in a three-room house. Um, out of the 15 of us, only three of us had high school diploma. And I had a twin sister who dropped out in the eighth grade and had uh, a set of twins at the age of 15. So, and I had eight sisters, and most of them all had babies before they hit 16, 17 years of age. I was diagnosed with ADHD, speech impediment, and a learning disability. And I'm going to tell you, I was a nightmare to teachers growing up in the classroom. I spent more time at home than I was in the classroom because of my attitude, the things, how I treated teachers. And it was just really, really tough on them and trying to educate me. And my mom, at the front, my mom only had a third grade education herself because she had me at a later age of her life, almost when she was 40. So it was all about surviving at that time. And so the times when she used to come to the school, she just sit in the class and the teachers talking. And that's just what it was pretty much like a temporary band-aid just to make sure I, was, I look over my shoulder. She's sitting over there. But soon she leave. Oh, I act up. I was tearing it up. So with that attitude that I had towards the teachers and being the way I were, it was stopping the, the other kids from learning. But I did not know that I had these things going on with me beginning to start doing these tests on me to find out that I had this ADHD and what's going on with me. And not only that, in my own personal life, in my own household, it was no one to help me because a lot of my sisters and brother quit school before they hit 19th grade themselves. So I didn't get that, 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 the help that I needed, the assistance that I needed. But the teachers, now, when we didn't go to school, the teachers came to our house to come get us and make sure that we would get into school because they truly, truly cared about us, Frank. And, and they did everything in power to give us all the tools and everything we need, but I kept pushing them away. A lot of us kept pushing away. And when you push teachers away, you're pushing that knowledge away that you should be in the classroom and getting it because the basic tools that they give us on the reading, math, and arithmetic of your learning can go a long way. But I wasn't receptive of that. I kept pushing them away, pushing them away, and, and end up around by my eighth grade year. My eighth grade year. And... Here what I'm about to say to this, this is, this is crazy. Down south in the state of Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, Tennessee, Arkansas, is like the um, Bible Belt of black colleges. Mm -hmm. And if you know anything about black colleges, the history of, of the bands, football team, basketball team, the band is old, the band is the major thing that all the kids want to be in, the band. Football, basketball wasn't a thing. It's about that band because we had those majorettes dancing, the guy who's leading the band, the drum major, all the kids. And, and kids love music down south. They like moving. Like down in New Orleans, they love the trumpet, trombones and all. So I joined the band my seventh grade year. And by joining the band, 
I figured that, you know, I could do something, you know, and maybe some in the music because everybody loved music down south. The blues, rock, you know, the, it was it was that thing. So I got into the band and while I was in the band and I was playing the um, bass drum, just playing for the football team, you know, going like uh, competitions and all. One day I was out in the uh, recess time and I was playing football against the guys who actually played football, you know, and I ran down the field and I caught two touchdowns on the number one player on the team. And the coach saw that and he was like, wow. So the third time I did it and he was all over me and I spiked the ball. And when I spiked that ball, the ball hit the player in the chest and we got to fighting. <laughs> coach said, hey, 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 stop that. Come over here. Come over here. He said, look. You need to take that negative energy and put it out here on this football field and show us what you got. And I was just saying to him, I said, show you what, what I got. Well, you saw what I got. I don't want to play no football. I said, football is for suckers anyway. He said, what you say? He said, get down and give me 10 push-ups. I said, why? He said, you called me a sucker. I said, no. I said, football is for suckers. He said, get down and give me 10. So I get down and do the 10 push-ups, and I come back to him. I mean, he, he says, stand up. He said, look, you need to really consider is coming out here to play football. And I said, man. So I went home, and I told my mom about it. I said, this coach keeps trying to pressure me to come out and play football. And this is going in my ninth grade year, all right, eighth, ninth grade year. And um, I decided, and I told my sister about it. So my mama said to me, she said, look, son, and hear me. You need Jesus in your life. All right, because I was a negative kid. I was mean. I was aggressive. You know, um, pretty much I came home pretty much whenever I want to because during the time of growing up, right, my mom uh, didn't really live her life as a young lady. So my mom dated and went out. So I really didn't know who my mom was. So my brother, oldest brothers and sisters was taking care of us. So I guess that was a part of my behavior too because not to say she was there for us, but at the same time, she had her own life she's trying to live, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I got to the point my sister said, Mama, you know what? You need to let this boy go ahead and get some structure in his life. Let him play ball. So I went on to the coach. I said, look, I, I guess I'll come out here and play some ball. And his name was Coach Joe Jennings. Joe Jennings. That was his name, Coach Joe Jennings. And um, I went out there. And he put me out there, Frank, and uh, as a running back. He said, you know what running backs do? I said, yeah, I know what running backs do. You know, because during that time, you know, you had Tony Dorsett during my time in the early 70s because I'm telling my age. Yeah. <laughs> you had Franco Harris, those guys. And, you know, by watching them on TV, I was like, you know, let me get up into this and see, you know. what." It, so he put me in running back, and he said, look, we're going to do a pitch left and pitch right. And you got to hold the count when the quarterback say, hut, 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 and then you move, okay? I said, all right. So he put me in the running back, Frank, and um, soon he said, we're going to do a quick pitch left on one. Ready, break. Man, I'm going to tell you, Frank, I was there by myself. I was shaking like a leaf back there by myself. He said, hut. I went to the left. He threw that ball to me, and let me tell you, the kid who I scored the touchdown on, it seemed like the offensive line 
opened up and let him <laughs> hit me and he knocked me out. He hit me on it so hard. He say, looked at me. He said, look, we got helmets and shoulder pads on now. How you like me now? Man, I was looking at Tweety Bird and I pushed up my man. Get off me. <laughs> and, and that's what's the start of me being a part of something. And as I was progressing in football, I was digressing in my classwork. So Coach Jenny used to come to me and say, look, Daryl, you're not getting the grades, man. You need to get your grades up. And they started this thing called no pass, no play. If you don't pass, you don't play. So I had this one teacher named Miss, um, her name was Miss McGee. And she was teaching me how to type, okay? And she told me this. She pulled me out in the classroom. And I had, at the time, a D in her classroom. She said, out of anything that you're going to do, you need to learn how to type. Yes. And when you were just talking about early about um, how the teachers in Switzerland teach you to be more advanced 15, from, 15 years from now. Yep. We're typing right today. Exactly. We're typing today. Everything that we do, even when we texting, typing, everything we're doing. So she was saying to me, you need to learn how to type, Daryl. And, 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 you know, use these skills. So when I got up to my senior year in high school, we had won the state in basketball. Did real good in football. Did real good in track and field. So Coach Jennings brought me into his office. And he said to me, he said, look, he had a brown paper bag. And he opened up that brown paper bag and opened it up and pulled it out, Frank. On the uh, on the table, I had about twenty scholarships: football, basketball, track, full rise, different universities and different all. So he said, "This weekend is coming up. You got to take the ACT." See, back in the days in Mississippi, we didn't know nothing about SAT. It was the ACT, and you only had to make like a, like fifteen at the time to qualify to get a four year scholarship, right? So I took the test, Frank, three times. In those three times, I made the minimal, a nine, 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 three times. That's just, I was like, wow. And that only qualify you to go to a community college with a nine just to get you in so you won't have to be in a Voltec class, all right? So he said, look, these colleges is taking these scholarships away, but I got this one college that wants you. And but they're gonna put you on a prop forty-eight. I say, what is a prop forty-eight? He was explaining to me a prop forty-eight means you have four years in college, but they're gonna take one year away and I'm gonna allow you to play for three years and you go in on probation. And I say, which college is that? And it was Jackson State University. Mm-hmm. All right. So I go down, Jackson State came up, the coach came up, and during that time frame, my mom was working for the city. All right. She was a city worker. She cleaned the streets. And I'm going to tell you, growing up as a kid, she used to wake me up to go help her sweep the streets, pick up paper, have a, st- a stick like a broom handle with a nail on the end and, you know, pick up the paper and put it in the trash. That was my mama's job. And she did that for some years. And while I was doing that with her, I just did not like it. I didn't like it. I mean, I was I was like, no. She said, look, son. You need to take care of your community, okay? Take care of your community. 
But I didn't understand it, you know. Growing up, the kids that I was going to school with was throw their paper in their cans on the ground, and and I had to pick it up. And I used to ball my fist up to them, say, "Look, when I see you at school, I'm gonna kick your butt." And my mama said, "Don't say that, son. Don't don't be that way." But um, the coach came from Jackson State, drove up. Pick me up at the school and say, where's your mom on signing day? Now, when I tell you this, Frank, my mom has never, ever came to one game of mine in high school, junior high or nothing. None of the sports, not at all, not one. And when the coach came up downtown to pick her up for me to sign, she said, what did you do wrong? It's a classic mom answer. She said, what did you do wrong? And her boss came up to her and said to her, she said, Jackson State University. He said, who are you? She said, he said, I'm the coach. I'm one of the recruiters, and we want to give him a full ride. So my mom said, full ride? He said, yeah. So they went on, and um, he said, go ahead and go ahead and sign that scholarship with your son. He said, what scholarship? What is scholarship? What are you talking about? My mom was just... Not saying dumbfound, she just didn't know. So we end up going to the school, and um, Coach Jenny said to me, Dara, I understand, you know, what, what you're going through and everything, and, uh, you know, with your mom and all, but um, went on and signed with Jackson State, and my mom said, I'll walk back to town to go back to work. And Coach said, no, no, I'll take you back. So... During this time, I was sort of confused, but coach did not give up on me in my classwork. I had barely got a 2.0, but when I went to Jackson State, and I don't know, if you ever saw the movie called Drumline? Yes. The movie Drumline. And that movie Drumline, they show you at the black colleges how the band came out, stepping. You had the uh, fraternities there, the Q-Dolls, the, uh, the AKA. You had all of these things going. And the football players walking up on campus, our chests all up high. You know, we was all up happy, right? And you were the stars. We're yeah. up against a break. Hold that thought right there, Daryl. We come right back. We're going to finish this story and then move on into your nonprofit. Yes, sir. All right. Don't go away, ladies and gentlemen. You do not want to miss the rest of this show. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. 
Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Life-Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are having a fascinating conversation with Daryl Gooden, who is the president and the founder of a nonprofit called Keep Teachers Teaching. Now, Daryl's been going with us through his life, how he got in a, a very difficult upbringing with uh, education and some learning disabilities, how a teacher found him and said, we're going to help you and we're going to make something of you. And this teacher, Mr. Joe, uh, Joe Jennings, helped Daryl get to school and get a scholarship to play football at Jackson State. Now, he just was going into, he just arrived on campus, he still had the learning disability, and we're going to continue from there. So, Daryl, please continue with the story. Yeah, you know, thank you, Frank. So, as I got on campus, I realized and I looked around, everything else was moving so fast, and I stopped, and it went into slow motion. And I said to myself, I'm going to flunk out. I'm not going to go to class. I know I'm going to flunk out. This is too fast for me. And it was really, really moving really fast. So I decided to leave. And I went on to the community college by the name of Mississippi Delta Community College. And the coach said, we knew that you'll be here. And that was in Mohead, Mississippi. So when I got there, uh, I was up against a lot of the ball players that came from a lot of the D1 schools like Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Southern, because they had great issues. And they came near to play, and then they go back to the big university. So when I was there and my first year there, I did real well. It came into the springtime, and Coach said, and it was 60 players and four coaches, and Coach said, some of you guys might not make the team next year because of your grades. And we were all on our knees. He said, you guys got one hour. And hear this word, what I'm about to get ready to say to you. This is for teachers, anybody, players, all. Pride and fear. Remember that word, pride and fear. So when Coach was talking to us, he said, you have one hour to go. Get your shower and go eat. All right. So on our knees while coach was talking, my hand went up and I said, coach, can I say something? And at that time, I used to study pretty bad. You know, from Mississippi, you know, you said that studying talk. All right. And coach said, go ahead, Daryl. Tell me what you got to say. And I stood up. I said, coach, I don't know how to read and write. Coach said, what? He said, I don't know how to read and write. My teammate was saying, man, set your dumb bump up down. We got to go take a shower, go eat our chow. 
I had another player to stand up and say, from Texas, Coach, I don't know how to read and write. Had a, a, a teammate from Florida stood up. Coach, I don't know how to read and write. It was 12 of us. Coach said, whoa, we got a, we got a problem going on here. So Coach got his wife to tutor us. And she tutored us on this little small table in her little bit of two-bedroom apartment where they was living on campus. And, her, you know, and we had, you know, all your life you were told that you would make it to the NFL, you know, the NBA, you know, just you keep, keep playing ball, man. You're going to do real good. You're going to become rich, famous, and all of that. But then Coach reeled us in. And say, you know, football is for a short term, so it's best for you to get as much education you can. Out of 12 of us, only six of us stayed in college. The, the rest of the guys, they all went back home because they was told that they'll make it to the NFL and they just put their, their pride got in the way. Because they, she was taking her time teaching us our ABCs and our one, two, threes. She started us all over from scratch. And my GPA got up to be a 2.0 so I can be eligible for the fall. So when I was there and after we got eligible and played my last year there at the community college, I was about to sign with University of Houston. Andre Ware just won the Heisman Trophy and University of Houston Kruger was picking me up to come and sign with them. Out of 14 of us, 11 of us had D1 offer at the school. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm going to go to Houston and go do. Man, I'm going to tell you, Houston had 30-some thousand students, the same feeling that I had at Carson, at um, Jackson. Jackson State. Man, I was like, man, I'm not going to be able to make it here. So I played in an all-star game, and it's a coach came from this small, a small college by the name of Carson Newman College. And the coach was named Ken Sparks. Head football coach at Carson Newman. It was an NAIA Division II school in East Tennessee, in Jefferson City, Tennessee. He sent one of his coaches down to see me. That coach turned around and, and asked me to come up for a visit to Carson Newman. Now, Carson Newman in East Tennessee, and when I say Great Smoky Mountain Hillbilly up the University of Tennessee, is about 30 miles east of uh, Knoxville. I got up there. And I got a chance to meet the coach and all the players. And the first thing that coach said to me was this. He said, my name is Ken Spark. I'm the head coach here at Carson Newman. He said, Darrell, I can't do what Houston would like to do for you. But what I can do here, and keep in mind what I'm about to get to say, he said, only thing I can offer you here, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and a free education. That's what we're about here. It ain't about football. It's about you being a young man you need to be in life and having a relationship with Christ. I said, excuse me? I'm looking at him in his eyes. I say, who this man talking to? You know what I'm saying? The last time I heard anything about God was when, Frank? When your mother. My mom. That was, that was the time I was like, wow. So I go back to the community college. I tell my coach, I say, coach, I'm going to go to this school called Carson Newman. He said, what? He said, Darrell, you're going to mess up our recruits. This is the first time in a decade that we had a winning team here at this community college. We're going to have 11 of you guys go and play D1 ball. You're going to mess up our recruits. I said, but it's something about this coach and about this school. 
I need this. He said, all right, well, go ahead. So I go up to Carson Newman, signed with them. And when I got there, it was a life changing. After the first year, after the first semester playing ball, I was running across the campus during springtime. And it was a young lady. She was from Korea and I had a young lady from Ukraine. And we had a lot of international students. And these students, were, uh, they was going to school to become a teacher, education majors. So I ran across the campus and I said, hey, my name is Daryl Good. And they said, we know you. They said, we see you out there on the football field. And I said, uh, look, I have a problem in reading and writing. And they said, no problem, meet us at the library. We'll see you at 6 o'clock. The young ladies began to start tutoring me. I began to learn how to read and write in a way I never thought I ever before because I didn't apply myself as a child because of the playing around and misbehavior and the different things like that. And they didn't give up on me. And one of the things that Coach said to us, Coach Sparks said, look, football is one thing. But life is another thing, and it's life after football. He said, you're going to have to take care of yourself, take care of your family. You know, I'm, I don't want you guys getting broken up and not being able to support yourself. And God is the key, you know, and I'm, I'm listening to him, and I begin to start learning more, start reading more, start going to the library and doing things, and it, it just began to be a life changing. And I joined. My brother told me, he said, you need some guidance in your life, little brother. I had a brother retire, two brothers retired from the military. And they had the Army ROTC. And he said, do they have that? I said, yeah. He said, you need to join it. So I joined the Army ROTC. And I went to officer school at Fort Knox. Now, with football, and then learning about leadership skills, oh, man, the military is well-equipped. When I say they are prompt about time and where you have to be and things you have to look, shape, I mean, they was on time. During that summer, I learned a lot about myself. I learned about how a lot of these drill sergeants said to me, you know, this world don't care about you. You got to care about yourself. And the only way you can make it, I don't care if you don't know how to read and write. You got to find some kind of way to survive. And the only way that you're going to survive is through education. Through education. And if you're going to make it, at least you need to learn your basic of writing and reading and your basic math to make it in society, sir. And that's what the drill sergeant was saying to us, you know. And, and I was like, wow. And so I took that back. To football, and I was telling my teammates about what happened when I was in the ROTC and graduating from officer school from uh, Fort Knox, and I started beginning starting applying it. And before I knew, I graduated, got my degree, and from getting my degree in edu uh, sociology, and, and uh, I was like, "Whoa!" All these pro teams start calling me. And I was like, hey, who called? What it? It's almost back to what Coach Jennings did when he opened up those bags and letter of all those um, Scholarship. scholarships and all. And coaches say, hey, Miami Dolphins want to see you. Cleveland Brown is here. Philadelphia Eagles here. Cowboys are here. They want to work you out. And I'm like, it was so far from my scope, Frank, about playing professional football. I, I didn't even have it nowhere in my scope. I thought I was just going to go do the military 
and from the military, do 20-some years, retire, get a civil service job or something, you know. But I got an opportunity to play pro football. And during my time, the rounds had, uh, they cut the rounds from 12 to 7 rounds. Football was going through a, a different arrow, different turn, and it didn't, it really didn't put a dawn on me because I really didn't understand what really what was going on with the uh, lockout of players asking for more money and everything. But just to get the opportunity to get worked out by the teams and get an opportunity to play. So I ended up signing with Winnipeg Blue Bombers up in Canada. And I went up there and I did real well. And then I came back to college and finished up some other classes. And I was totally finished up with school, and I ended up getting picked up uh, playing arena football. And from arena football, and I started playing for the Memphis Mad Dogs, which is a Canadian team. So then we had the American Canadians and uh, Canada uh, Canadian team. So I was with the Memphis Mad Dogs. So I played for them, and it was great. I got a chance to play with some, some amazing players that ended up playing in the NFL from the Canadian League, and it, 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 was, it was great. So from that, went on and started playing for the Miami Hooters. And then I ended up playing for the Arizona Rattlers. And that's how I ended up here in Arizona, playing here. And, and um, after finished with the Rattlers, I began to start speaking at different events, different things. And it, it was funny. I had never, ever, I've been here for seven months. Never, ever been to South Phoenix when I was with the Rattlers. Because they used to take us to Scottsdale, up to uh, Mesa to sign autographs with the kids, or downtown, you know, with the, meet the fans and all. And so I was a speaker at this event, and this young lady asked me, she said, look, we need black teachers like you to be teachers, black men to be teachers. And she said, you have your college degree? I said, yes, yes, ma'am. She says to me, she said, look, she said, just come to South Phoenix. And I said, where's South Phoenix? She said, just down the road. I said, oh, okay. She said, look, you got your degree? I said, yes. She said, go down to the education department and pay $65, and they'll give you do a background check and get you certified to come in our district to teach, to be a substitute teacher. Frank, when I got down there, I saw kids that looked like me. I saw parents that looked like my mother, lived in the same type of houses that I grew up in. I mean, it was a breathtaking. Um, I was there for the first 30 days I was there, and they gave me a classroom that I went regularly to substitute in. I had this young man, eighth grade, Frank, and he was about 6'3", about two, two twenty, two forty, with a big baby face, big pudgy body, but he was a big boy, six two. He was taller than me. I'm six one, mm -hmm. and he was ripping up my class every day, Frank. He was ripping it up, and and I said to him, I said, young man, can I talk to you? He got right in my face, and he said, what you want? Call me the N word. I said, what? He said, I said, what you say? He said, you heard me. What you want? I said, wow. I looked up at the lights, and I said, ooh, God, karma is something else, huh? <laughs> Everything that I ever did to a teacher or said to a teacher hit me right back in my face. And 
I was like, I was really was like taken back, really taken back. And I was like, man, I don't know if I can really stay in this and do this. So as I was walking up and down the sidewalk and I'm watching the teachers teaching their class have 32 plus students. And I'm seeing these teachers, man, giving these kids all they got right on that board. Hey, don't forget this. Don't miss this. And I look in the back of the classroom, see students acting up. And that was me acting up in the back. And the teacher said, hey, don't miss out. Don't miss out on this. Then I go to the next classroom. The teachers are working so hard. I mean, just just doing it. And and I'm looking this over and over. I said, man, these teachers are working their tail off. And see, I'm, I was at the time, I was just a substitute teacher. But they was really putting it in. Putting it in. So we go in to our lunch, to teachers, we, in our teachers' lounge to eat. And I'm looking at the teachers eating Roman noodles. Uh, they was eating the leftovers from the night before. And I was sitting away from them, Frank, and sitting away from them, and they was talking. Now, when I said the word about pride and fear, this is what came into play was while I was in there, they started talking about their student loans. Start talking about the electric bill, water bill, they rent. And see, at that time, teacher salaries was like $29,000 a year. $29,000. And that was in 1998. $29,000 a year. And I'm listening to them. And then I'm also hearing the teacher say, look, I got a project coming up this Friday. And my students need some uh, posters. And the crayon markers to do this artwork because it's something that they've been working on, you know, with their parents and they want to display it for their parents. Right. So this teacher was talking about her electric bill and her electric bill was due on that Tuesday of one hundred dollars. So I'm in there and this is on a Wednesday and I'm listening to her and she said, oh, I got to get up. She had she took her last hundred dollars, ran down to the dollar store down from the school and bought about 35, 40 poster boards, markets and different pens, used her money to buy the supplies for those kids so they can do this project for Friday because their parents was coming. When I went home that weekend, Frank, it did something to me. I don't know what it was. I, I was just like, what is this? She took her last money to do this. Then we had another teacher on that Monday. She took her money to go buy, I think one of the kids was hungry, to go buy some food for the kid to be able to take home. I'm like, what are these teachers doing? So on that Tuesday, when I was in there eating lunch with the teachers, I went up to that teacher. I said, look, my name is Daryl. I said, look, I don't mean to get into your business. I pulled out $100 out of my pocket and put it in her hand. And she looked at it. She said, what is this for? I said, look, last week you did something so noble, so selfless to get those supplies. You took your last money to buy supplies for the kids. And I overheard you. And I wasn't trying to be nosy to hear you talking about your student loans, your electric bill, and all of you guys was talking about your study. And you took your money to buy classroom supplies. So this is for your electric bill. And she was like, oh, my God. She said, I'll pay you back. I said, no, you keep doing what you're doing. Keep teaching. I don't want you to leave. Don't do it. I want you to keep doing what you're doing because it, 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 you know, it touched me. Yeah. 
We're up against another break, ladies and gentlemen. This is a, a fascinating story. Daryl's going to come back, and we're going to get more into that experience with those teachers that led him to build his organization. Don't go away. This last segment's the best yet. Book Frank Zakari as the motivational speaker at your next event. Frank is a dynamic, entertaining, and fascinating storyteller. Your organization will be entertained and will learn stories of success they can implement immediately. Email Frank today to secure him for your next event at lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com or call 916-718-5517. Mention that you heard about it from the Life Altering Events radio program. You can also visit Frank's website for more information at frankzakari.com. Frank Zakari has written five books spanning a range of life-altering events and how to handle them. When the Wife Cheats is about a man with two young daughters handling the devastating loss of a cheating wife. Inside the Spaghetti Bowl is about how one family stays together through both good and bad. Five Years to Live follows a couple through life after a tragic accident, recovery, and prognosis. From the Ashes is a turnaround management success story about the University of Washington volleyball team. Find the books at Amazon in print, audio, and Kindle formats and at frankzakari.com. Multiple studies show us that the vast majority of people are disengaged at work. A Gallup report stated that two-thirds of American workers are unhappy and 15% actually hate their work. That means that 81% are not engaged to work for a common goal. Frank Zakari and his team have programs to help you change this dynamic and create a collaborative and high-performing organization. Visit frankzakari.com to set up an initial consultation today. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to Life Altering Events with Frank Sakari. To call into the program today with questions or comments, please call 1 888 346 9141. That's 1 888 346 9141. Or you can send an email to lifealteringeventsradio at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are having a phenomenal conversation here with Daryl Gooden, who is the founder and the president of, of a nonprofit group called Keep, Keep Teachers Teaching. And Daryl went through his life and his struggles in education with learning disabilities, how teachers believed in him, how coaches who are also teachers believed in him, got him through school, got him a degree, and now he's working as a substitute teacher in South Phoenix. And if you've ever been to the Phoenix area, South Phoenix is not exactly the garden spot of town, but that's where he went and he found his inspiration working with these teachers in South Phoenix. So, Daryl, continue with that story. Yes. So, after uh, my journey through the South Phoenix, I went into another school district and I went and got certified and became a teacher. And when I became a teacher, I started learning about what an educator go through every day through state retirements. Uh, health care and everything. So I was qualified. So I left and went to a new district, another district where it was paying a little bit more money. It was more up in a better area, I may say, because the area that you teach in, like if I say like Scottsdale, you know, tax dollars are much better up there. Teachers get a little bit more money. 
tax dollars not real good in the inner city because there's not a lot of corporations and companies. And see, I didn't know anything about that as I progressed and I started learning wherever you teach and there's an area that is a little better, a little bit more money. So I went into an area that money was a little better, but it was the same struggle with teachers. Didn't matter if I was in South Phoenix or Scottsdale or pretty much anywhere, teachers were still struggling financially because they had all these student loans, only making like a couple thousand dollars more. Than, and then the health insurance was about $500, but some district paid for it. But if you got married and had a significant other, your insurance go up to 600 and then the state was taking like 11% of my check. So my checks taken home every two weeks were no more about $1,000. So $2,000 a month for me to live on, you know, as an educator. You know, you hear the story that teachers work two to three jobs and different things like that and try to make, you know, cover up them student loans and different things else they had. So when I went on in the other district, I was helping the teacher out in um, same way. Same thing happened. And I had a teacher to call me to a classroom and saying, these teachers are talking about you, Mr. Gooden, that you've been taking your check and helping them out. And she said, look, I'm from Chicago and I have never, ever seen nothing like this before or heard of you drive a beautiful car. And I just want to know, Mr. Gooden, um, don't get offended, but do you sell drugs? How can you afford to give your check up to these teachers. And I didn't want to tell her that need to know that I had another job on the weekend that was paying double what I was making as a teacher because I was single, I didn't have a family, but I was taking my check and helping the teachers out. And I say, because I want to keep them teaching. And from that, that really inspired me that to notice that, to say, these teachers is gonna stay here because we're short of teachers. They was always talking about we're short 2,000 educators. You know, we, we're short of this. You know, no one is going into education. And I was like, man, if I can find a way to keep teachers teaching, I'm going to try to do it. So I prayed up on it, and I went to my old principal who gave me my first job as a teacher. I went back to South Phoenix, and I talked to the principal. She said, keep teachers teaching. What do you want to do? I said, I want to assist teachers on getting a certification and training because I keep hearing the district say they don't have money for training, professional development, because they're short on budget. I say, if I can get the community involved and I can raise money to send a teacher to get certified in an area in behavior or whatever professional field that they choose to go in, and they come back and train other teachers for what have they learned and train it down to the students, and not only this, this will be a way for a teacher also to be able to get a raise because when they meet with their principal and their superintendent say on a yearly, a yearly uh, evaluation, they say, what have you done this summer to, for us to give you a $300 rate? Well, I'm certifying these three different areas. I'm like, what? Because I'm not, we were, I wasn't trying to set something up to enable a teacher. It was to assist them and help them financially so they feel good about themselves of what they're doing and also continue on their passion and also to assist those teachers that find adversity in their life. And what I mean about adversity, the first three year teachers was dropping out. They was dropping out. We was we had like an 18 percent of the first three year teachers, especially straight coming out of college on forty fifty thousand dollars in student loans, had all these bills. I had teachers 
three or four of them are living in a two-bedroom apartment. I had a couple of teachers living in someone's garage. Someone converted their garage into a one-bedroom for the teachers to live in it because you can't afford to live. So I began to start visiting all these teachers. One day I went to the Salvation Army. I said, do y'all have anything for teachers if a teacher needs some help? They said, no. I went to Sharp. They said, no. They said, teachers makes $2 too much to qualify for any kind of government assistance. I said, get out of here. I say, you mean to tell me there is no teacher's fund, no emergency fund, nowhere? And all the associations that teachers are part of didn't have no emergency fund to assist no teachers. So something dawned in my head. I said, you know what? Let me start a foundation and keeping teachers teaching. One of the reasons why the teachers are leaving because of their pride and their fear. Their pride was because they are here educating the students to become doctors and lawyers and the next best citizen in the world and putting their pride to the side and, 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 and giving all their resources to the students, their money, their time, to better their life when they're the one who's failing the most. And they're leaving the professional because they don't want other teachers. They got so much pride they are too scared to ask another teacher for $20 for gas to put in their car because it's, they both, they're uh, educated and they feel that teachers don't struggle. And, and, and I, that's the reason why I started Keeping Teachers Teaching, to bring awareness of their personal needs, to bring awareness of teachers that are trying to get certified, special training, and just don't have the money because they would take their last money and do it for the students because they didn't want. So... I started looking at the military was taking called Disabled Vet and Wounded Warrior takes care of the veterans. Salvation Army take care of the homeless. Humane Society take care of dogs and cats. The 100 Club of Arizona take care of first responders. But the teachers did not have one organization, nowhere in Arizona or United States, for emergency funds. So that's the reason why I started keeping teachers teaching. So when we... And, I, and they say, how would we hear about you? Where, where, where did this come from? So I began to start putting on bowling tournament, school district versus school districts. And I started bringing teachers in together. And, you know, and when I started bringing them in together and I told them who I was, I got the community involved. I went to the local business owners to ask for donation to put this bonus tournament on because I don't want the teachers to pay for anything because they spend so much money out of their pocket, $500 to $2,000 a year. Now that was cut because they can't write off all of that anymore. And I say, I don't want to charge them anything. I just want to give. So I brought them together. Free, free bowling, uh, buffet, we raffle off prizes and gifts, start giving to them. Then I began to start telling them who I was and what we were doing as an organization. And that was the birth of uh, keeping teachers teaching. We started with that. And teachers started beginning to start calling me. And, you know, on the hippie law, you know, you don't tell business of other teachers or their names or what have you, uh, service that you're giving them. So I made it real simple for them. Fill out an application that says, okay, for me to pay your bill, I need your teacher's ID, your driver's license, Fill out this application. Tell me what bill that you need to be paid that you're behind on. You have to be behind on your bill because everybody behind, but definitely at the point that you're in the red, you're about to get kicked out. You gave me the okay. I sent it in. Pay your bill to SRP. They send you an email that says it's been paid because I don't put the money in the teacher's hand because you don't forget they're still human. Yep. <laughs> still human. 
Well, we have about uh, two minutes left here, Daryl, and this program has done so much to to give te- make it aware, which is the number one thing, because I think once the community understands, they will respond. And in that vein, on April 11th, you have an event coming up. Tell the people about a little bit about this event. Yes, this will be our fifth annual Arizona Teacher Appreciation Health and Wellness 5K Fun Run and Walk. This is a day of appreciation to help to kick off the month of May, which is the first Tuesday in the month of May is Teacher Appreciation Week. So I do it in April to get everybody all riled up for one month to know, don't forget to take care of your teachers here in the Valley of the Sun. So we kick off this uh, Health and Wellness 5K run and become a champion for our teachers to come and run with us. It's absolutely free. They can go to www.keepingteachersteaching.org and sign up over our Eventbrite to come out and support our teachers, 40, 50 vendors, we're going to have about seven to eight food truck, live entertainment, kid zone, and this is open to the public. We want you to come out. That's perfect. We're in the Phoenix area, April 11th. Make time to come to this. Now, we're just about out of time for this show. This show went way too fast. Thank you, Daryl, for the tremendous Thank insight. Thank you for having me, Frank. And for setting up this wonderful organization. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard Daryl's story. And the thing that I've been told most of my life is no matter what happens to you or whatever life throws your way, do three things. Look up, get up, and never, ever give up. Pick up the pieces and start moving forward. If you'd like more information about Daryl or Keep Teachers Teaching, send me an email at Life Altering Events, and I'll make sure it gets to him. Now, let me leave you with this. None of us are in this alone. The secret to walking on water is to know where the rocks are. And today, Daryl showed you where a lot of those rocks are. Stay with us next week when we look into another life-altering event. Thank you for tuning in to Life-Altering Events. Be sure to join Frank Zakari again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a life-changing week. The Good Kind.